Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet, at home, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you're here. I'm telling you what, <clears throat> y'all slept in. You feel good. I, feel, I saved the best till last today. I just saved a little bit. And uh, so we're going to have a great time together. I love that. I love that. Hey, listen, um, let me ask a question as we start. How many of you have ever lost your excitement about something new? Anybody? Lost your, maybe it's a new car, so excited, and then you weren't anymore. New house, new toy, new girlfriend, new husband. <clears throat> Listen, here, here's what I think. I think all new things should have an expiration sticker, okay? That, you know, yesterday I went to um, Costco. That's what old people do on Saturdays. And I was looking for some meat. I got a new grill for Father's Day coming up and uh, bought it for myself. And you're, you're never disappointed when you buy your own gifts. And uh, amen? Amen. Okay. Got a Traeger grill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I need to get some endorsement off some of that stuff. But... Uh, so I was looking for some meat, you know, meat. We're gonna, we're gonna grill some meat next week. And so look at it in there, and they always have expiration stickers, you know, that, uh, eat it by. Well, th- there ought to be, there ought to be expiration stickers that, that says, okay, you're excited right now, but on June 24th, 2023, you're not gonna be excited anymore about this particular product, right? Because it just, it just wears off. All new things, all new things lose their excitement at some point. Here's the sad fact, though. You can lose the excitement of your faith. You can. Do you remember your first days? you remember your first days when you came to Christ and maybe it was in this place or somewhere else and and you you just felt weighted down by um, just life, you know? Just sin is what it is. Maybe you didn't even recognize it at that point, but it's just life and, you know, just relational damage and, and physical and all of this. And you came to Christ and it was just, there was an excitement maybe about being saved, being healed. Maybe you were baptized in water. I love water baptism. This is one of the things I, that I love here is that um, we've got water baptism every month, you know, and then during the summertime, I think there's three or four of them in the, in the ocean. Otherwise, it's at the local campus. Here it's out front. But Baptisms happen all the time. <laughs> you don't have to wait a month. Somebody comes, I want to be baptized. Hang on a second. We'll, we'll get that done for you. I love that. I love going out and watching and just seeing the joy because it feels like when you, when you come out of the water, it's like I'm clean, I'm fresh, and I feel, I feel different. And you know, in those moments, almost nothing bothers you. Almost nothing irritates you. But over time, the newness wears off. Our, our, our relationship with Christ, our salvation, and, and um, other things cry out for your attention, and little things start bothering you more, and, and where, where nothing seemed to irritate you before now, it just seems to be a little more irritable, and it's like uh, the psalmist David called it uh, uh, losing the joy of your salvation. Well, we're in a series right now called Walking Away from from Jesus, and I love it. I've loved this 
this series, and the premise is kind of cool. You know, the phrase seems like one thing, but the premise of the series is there were people in the Jesus time that would encounter him. They would, they would have a, a life-transforming experience, right? And uh, maybe they were healed. Maybe relationships uh, were bettered. Uh, some of them just touched out and Jesus, or reached out and touched them. Jesus touched them. And, and so the series is about the conversations that they had among each other as they walked away from Jesus. Here's where I want to go today. So as you're walking along the path of life, Naturally, you've got this encounter with Jesus. The further you get away from Jesus, the more there's a drain. There's a, there's a losing the sense of joy of your salvation, of the encounter with Jesus. And so what, what I want to do is, is, first of all, I, I'd, I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to, uh, to take a look at something here. Just a second, I'll tell you what I want to take a look at. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> That's what I like about third service. There's really nobody out there. It's just us. <laughs> no, there are. There are people. We love you too. Um, why does that happen? Why, does, why do we lose? And then secondly, how can I prevent it? Let's talk about why, why does it happen. Uh, three or four weeks ago, we had three of our grandchildren over, Debbie and I did. That's manageable. We have 14. I mean, more than three is just like, it's, it's overwhelming. But uh, we, we had three, and we had, we had a good time, ice creamed them up, did all that kind of stuff. And being at Papa's house is a wonderful thing. It really is. But uh, I, had, I had read somewhere earlier that that night, that the space station that's out there, you know, that you never think about, never see, was gonna be visible from Mount Pleasant. Anybody else go out and see that? Anybody here go out and see that? Okay, a few of us. And uh, so, so I thought that'd be a great thing for the kids to see. So we piled them in the car and we went out to a place where there are no trees, you know, so they could see. And uh, pretty soon Ryland saw it. And it was only seven minutes, but it was going across very bright. It's brighter than I thought it would be, closer than I thought it would be. And so we, we started a conversation with the grandkids on that. Did you know there are people that live in there? Oh, really? People, yeah. Then the first question for the kids was, how long do they live in there? And I said, oh, for months sometimes. Well, what about their kids? You know, they, we think of everything in our own perspective. And I said, well, they probably, you know, they FaceTime or whatever. They can talk to one another. And then one of the, it was, my grandson says, I started talking about gravity just a little bit. There's no gravity. He says, well, well, how do you pee? You know, I mean, it's just a case this big. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go home. We're going to look that up. And so here's what you do, parents, as a grandparent, when you're stumped on something, Google it. It's there. The answer's there somewhere. So I, and I how do you pee? You know, if no gravity, whatever, in the space station. And uh, man, there's all kinds. Listen, there's all, YouTube is awesome. There's all kind of videos from NASA on how you pee in, in with no gravity. And actually, there's only a few on that, but there's, we watched one of those, and you're going to have to watch it yourself. I'm not going to get into it. But we watched all kind of other things. It was fascinating. In fact, the, show, show a couple of the pictures. They, they had uh, female astronauts that would, their hair is crazy. You know, the kids look at that. Wow, that's 
asked us because there's no gravity, right? Well, here's, here's a thought I'd never thought of, and I'm still resonating, meditating on it four weeks later. That lady, one of those ladies said that there, there are no chairs in the space station. I thought, no, they make them stand up for six months? They don't make them do anything. There's not a need for a chair because there is no gravitational pull that makes you have to sit down. And I thought, wow, that there is a spiritual significance of that because the joy of your salvation is like weightlessness. Okay? When you come to Jesus and you give him your sin and the problems and the issues that, that really bury you and there's such a weight, and then there's a sense of weightlessness that comes. And in fact, that's a picture of heaven. Okay? In heaven, I don't think we'll float around with our hair up you know, in heaven, but there is this eternal sense of weightlessness of the gravitational pull of sin. That we'll, we'll walk around forever without worry, without, you know, uh, fear, without the, the sin, that, the things that we do that cause, that throws sand in the gears of life. It's called sin. And that's what, that's what heaven is going is to is be like. But the reality is every day we battle the downward gravitational pull of sin. Every day. Let me ask you this. When you wake up first thing in the morning, this morning when you woke up, who was the first person you thought about? Me. I, you didn't think about me. I thought about me. And you thought about you, probably. Because there's, there's the selfishness. The sin of selfishness. I think about me first in every situation. And it just weighs me down. Not only uh, selfishness, but there's a sin of entitlement. The further I walk, when, when I come into a relationship with Jesus, when I have an encounter with Jesus, I am so grateful. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for forgiving my sin. Thanks for healing me, whatever it happens to be. This, this gratitude. And the further I walk away from Jesus, the more entitlement starts to set in. Is that just me or is that you too? It's like, it's like I, don't, I don't deserve this. I deserve a lot better. Why did God give Brandon all the hair? Amen. God will preach. You guys can't see Brandon, but you listen to his music. You know who he is. But entitlement. You know, it's about me. Well, when I'm here, it's about Jesus, and it's about gratitude. Just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sin of covetousness. Covetousness pulls me down. That's when I want what you have and I don't want you to have it. That's not like the last one. I want Brandon to have his hair, but I'd like some too. But when it gets further than that, it's when I want something you have and I don't want you to have it. Covetousness. This gravitational pull of sin. It starts small, but it gets larger the, follow, the further we walk away from Jesus. For the psalmist David, it culminated in adultery and murder. And for most of us, we're not even close to that. But look at what the psalmist David said. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. So why, why does, uh, why when we, the further we are, are from Jesus in everyday life, maybe it's Monday compared to Sunday or more like Wednesday compared to Sunday, why, why do we drift? It's the gravitational pull of sin. What can we do about it? That's the second question. And the important question is how can we prevent it? And the writer of Romans recognizes it and he gives us a prescription. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Let me stop there. This world has a pattern. He's writing to their world, and I'll talk about their world in just a minute. But whatever world you're in, and we're kind of in the same world here, there is a pattern in this world that is not helpful for your peace, for your joy, for the joy of your salvation. And that pattern is on whatever news station you happen to watch, whatever music that you happen to listen to, whoever's influencing you. Most likely, there is a pattern that is conforming you. In fact, some people want their weekend experience to match what they're listening to on Fox News or CNN or whatever it happens to be. And it ought to be the opposite of that. We're not to be conformed into the image and pattern of this world, okay? There's a pattern. You will be conformed if you don't understand this. But he says instead, be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is what we're doing here together this weekend. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a plan for you. God has a will for you. It's pleasing. It's good. It's per perfect. But guess what? The gravitational pull will conform you into patterns that are not with his word. And so we've got to renew our mind, renew our mind, renew our mind, or we'll be squeezed into the image of the world. Just the fact that it says renew, transform by renewing your mind, that, that assumes a drift. Renewing assumes a drift. So that's all the introduction. I want to talk to you. I'm so excited about talking about this. I've been waiting like four weeks on this. This is a Revy that dropped in about four or five weeks ago. It's been kind of marinating in the sauces and it's ready to be preached. Is that okay? And so, and so uh, Paul in Ephesians 4 calls us to stop the drift. Say that together. Stop the drift. Let's say it again. Stop the drift. He calls us to stop the drift by remembering our calling. By remembering our calling, okay? Ephesians chapter one, 4 and verse 1 says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Let's stop there. He says, this is so important. I'm, I'm arguing as a prisoner for the Lord, as an apostle. He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. When we think of calling, we think of what I call small C calling. And we think it's big C calling. Like, who should I marry? What should I do with my life? I'm called to preach. I'm called to be a teacher. I'm called to whatever it happens to be. All the big decisions. What am I called to? And you know what? Those are important, but they're secondary 
because it's not what he's talking about here. And if you get the big C calling right, then the little C calling will kind of fall in line, okay? What's the big C calling? You are called to be sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to live, you gotta get this, this is the antidote to all of it. I want you to live according to your calling, okay? And then he gives us three things uh, that, that uh, we are called to. Let's look at it. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He's saying, you've got to live according to your calling, worthy of your calling, and, and here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. So let's break that out. Uh, three countercultural attitudes um, that will help to counter the gravitational pull of sin uh, as we walk further and further uh, away from Jesus. And here, here it is. Number one, be completely humble and gentle. Let's say that out loud together. Be completely humble and gentle. Does that sound countercultural? Let me, let me talk to you about it a little bit. Okay, when you study your Bible, let me give you some tips here. When you study your Bible, if you have an analog Bible, you know, one of those has pages, and here's how you're trying to find God's will. <clears throat> Judas killed himself. Go and do likewise. No, 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 no. Let's go to another one. You know, we go over here. It's, it's kind of helpful, but not real helpful because you don't know the context of what's going on there. Now, with your... Um, you version, how many of you use you version? Use you version. You, you're looking for God's will, so you go to the verse of the day. That's helpful too, but it's good. What I usually do when I go to the verse of the day is I click on it, and then it gives you the whole verse, and then I click on it again, and it gives you the chapter it's in. Then I read the whole chapter around that verse to kind of get the idea of the context of that verse. Because if you don't know context, you might not get all that God has you. Am I saying you have to know context, get anything from God? No, God's able to, to take anything and do it. But it's best to know context, then you get, you get uh, s- some reality about what God is saying. So here's a question. How would, he says, be completely humble and gentle. How would that have landed on the congregation that it was intended for? That's what you have to ask. How would, who, was this, who was this written to and how would it have landed on them? And in this particular case, which is the uh, church at Ephesians or Ephesus, it's, a, it, it's the, the pre-Christian ancient Greco-Roman culture had absolutely nothing positive to say about humility at all. He's preaching this to seacoast Ephesus, okay? In the first century, there is no context for humility. Plato, Sophocles, the, the philosophers, all of them, that there is that humility is not a value, okay? It's not a value. Uh, in fact, uh, the humble people or the humiliors, as they would call them, were just the lowly, the poor, the massive underclass of society who were of no interest to those who mattered, okay? In fact, the root word for humility is hummus. And hummus is not good tasting stuff that you put on a chip. Hummus is the 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 bags of stuff that you buy to put in your garden so the deer can eat your garden. It would have been cheaper to just go to the grocery store than plant the seed. I'm bitter. Okay, I'm bitter. But anyway, you go and you get humus or hummus. It's dirt. And so, and so 
in the times that this was written, um, it, it's just not a value. It's just like, those people don't matter, and I don't want to be like dirt, okay? This is radical stuff that Paul is preaching. It's countercultural, and it's radical. It's no more radical than Jesus. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, his radical claim was that neediness and weakness and meekness are not obstacles to flourishing, but avenues to flourish, okay? That's what Jesus said. These aren't obstacles for you achieving what God wants in your life. They are avenues to success. So, do you know anybody that's completely humble and gentle? Here's a closer question to our hearts. Would you even want to be completely humble and gentle? Let's be honest. You read that, you know, there's not a lot of kids that when you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be completely humble and gentle. <laughs> you ask adults, how do you want to be when you're really mature in Christ? Well, I want to be completely humble and gentle because we see it as a doormat. And that's not what it is at all. See, the principle that humility attracts God's favor is all over scriptures. Proverbs 3 and verse 34, the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to who? The humble. All right, how about Matthew 23 and verse 12? For those who exalt themselves will be what? And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted, okay. Luke 1, God, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. When a ruler gets arrogant, when a ruler goes, it's all about me, says God's liable to knock them down. He has forever. And he exalts, he lifts up the humble. Okay, let's see what else he says. But he gives more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to who? I'm gonna tell you what. I like y'all, and I want you to think well of me. But there's only one person that I'm really, really concerned about, and that's God, and I don't want him on the other team. How many of you agree with that? He said, God opposes. I don't want God to oppose Team Greg in whatever I'm doing. I don't want that. I want the favor of God. How many of you want the favor of God? And if you want the favor of God, which results in shortcuts to success, put God first in all of your life and all the things that you need will be added to you. If you want the favor of God, you've got to humble yourself. Humble yourself because humility removes pride. Pride has a strong downward gravitational pull. So what do humble people look like? I thought about humble people in my life. Here's some characteristics. They're quick to laugh at themselves. Somebody told me a long time ago, might as well laugh at yourself, everybody else is. How many of you know that's a good, good principle? Yeah, okay. Uh, they're quick to admit when they've made a mistake. They delight in the success of others. They don't posture or pretend to have knowledge or abilities that they lack. They reveal their fears and their vulnerabilities. They ask God for help when they need it. So here's a question, because we got a room full of leaders. There's political leaders here today. There's religious leaders. There's business leaders here in the congregation today. 
leaders in the school systems here today. So here's the question. Can you really be an effective leader and be completely gentle and humble? I would point you to Numbers 12, 3, which is not on your screen. And it talks about Moses. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Also one of the most effective leaders that ever lived. You can be completely humble and gentle. I mean, we're growing in that. But what that does, you say, well, people will run over me. No, they'll have to run over God because God is on your side when that happens. Okay? Okay? That was a good line. That wasn't in the earlier services. I saved that for here. So how to get over yourself. <laughs> Steps to humility. St. Benedict monastic rules. There's a whole bunch of them. I could talk about, I'll just give you two real quick. Number one, look for opportunities to follow rather than lead. Let, let me talk to leaders once again. I, I happen to be a leader. I think I've got a gift to lead. Um, one, of the, one of the ways uh, that is a discipline for me to try to, stay in humility, is look for opportunities to follow. And it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm not telling you not to lead, but you look around for opportunities to follow. I mean, it's frustrating. I'm going to give you an example. I mean, when we are kids in school, there is no greater leaderless organization than parent-teacher organizations and conferences. And I would go to them, and nobody would be in charge, and I would, like, step up, and Debbie would say, sit down, just follow Okay, because you're going to make a mess. And I, had to, I hated those meetings. I had to go and learn to follow. I found out there were some great leaders there. Okay, But you've got to learn. And I would just say, make a discipline of following from time to time. Here's the second one. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Yeah, that's, listen, we're doing retreats right now at uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you know this stuff. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you should, because I want all of you to go to heaven, okay? So <laughs> follow me on Instagram real quick. Just go do that, follow. Greg Surratt, follow. And if you do, you'll see me at the retreat. We, we, over the last six weeks, we have had, no, it's a little more than six weeks. We have had five retreats with pastors, 15 at a time. So we've had 75 pastors come through, Okay. We're gonna do another 100 before the end of the year. And you guys support that, which is wonderful. And we get these guys, and they're pretty beat up right now, just beat up from leading, from COVID, from all the craziness of you know, the political scene, all, all that stuff. Um, and, and so they come in, and we, we, you see fishing pictures. That's just the candy that gets them there. The real action happens at night when we sit down kind of around the campfire. And I say, okay, what's really going on inside? And we watch guys confess sin to one another. I'm angry. Okay, you had a right to be angry. Are you sinning in your anger? Yes, I am. I'm bitter right now at some people. I want to be forgiven. I want to be healed. Could you pray for me? Oh, guys, I've never said this in front of anybody. We hear that all the time. Never said this in front of anybody, but here's what I'm struggling with. And you can just see healing. You can just see weightlessness, weightlessness, weightlessness. And so confess your sins to one another. Maybe find some, some people to do it. Say, well, I confess to God. That's great, but healing comes when you confess to one another. 
right? So we got to quickly go. I've got two minutes left, and we have two points, and that ain't happening. Hold the keys for just a little bit. Let me, let me, get, let me get something going here in just a second. All right, here's the second thing I'm called to is to refuse to cancel other people. You're gonna love this one. Refuse to cancel. Oh, I like that. Could you guys come sit in the front rows on every service when I preach? Come on. So here's what he says. He says, be patient, watch this, bearing with one another in love. This is your calling. You're called to gentleness and humility and to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Any, listen, I'm not particularly fond of any portion of scripture that starts with be patient. Anybody else here? Anybody else have a problem with patience at all? Yeah. Um, do, you guys, do you guys make mental wagers when you come to a stoplight? I've got a picture. So you come to the stoplight and you go, okay, car on the left, it's an SUV, that's a soccer bomb. She ain't going anywhere fast. There's two cars in the middle. I'm gonna go with the sports car on the right then you discover it's a, it's a Prius, right? And so, and you're really jacked up. You guys do the same thing, don't you? When you feel impatient in any situation, you need to ask yourself, this may be the most important question some of you hear all day. Is the drama I'm creating helping or hurting right now? Is the drama that I'm creating, now, don't say that to your spouse. That, this is self-examination. But is the drama that I'm creating helping or hurting right now? Okay. Um, would you agree the hardest place to exercise patience is with people? Someone said to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be a glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> so let's talk about what the scripture says. It says bearing with one another in love. The Greek word for bearing with is anaximai or something like that. I didn't do well with Greek, but I do know how to read a Greek dictionary, okay? So, so the word bearing with is translated in many places in scripture as putting up with, okay? Bear with means to put up with. Now, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I wouldn't put up with that if I was you. I wouldn't put up with that for my workplace. I wouldn't put up with that for my spouse. I wouldn't put up with that. Guess what? That's what the culture says, but what Paul says is you are called to put up with people, okay? Now, I'm not talking about abuse. Not talking about abuse. But you are called to put up with people. That's what we're supposed to do. In the words of the theologian Chip Judd, who's on staff here, Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. And if a person's behavior doesn't make sense to you, it's because you're missing a piece of their story. And somebody else said, everyone you meet in life is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And what Paul says is that God places those people in our lives and you and I are called to put up with a lot more than we think that we're capable of. So, can I meddle just a little bit, just kind of a little bit? What should you be willing to put up with? Let me give you two or three things. Idiosyncrasies. Idiosyncrasies. I have several friends that are kind of quirky. 
They're a little irritating personality. They're, sometimes they're a little weird. Does anybody, anybody know anybody like that? Don't point, don't point. You have friends like that. Just a little quirky, whatever, okay? God has called you to put up with them. Bear with, in patience. God is at work, put up with, okay? How about this? Weaknesses, weaknesses. You know, I have a wife that has put up with a lot from her husband over the years. I was, uh, a few years ago, I was in the foyer, not of this building, but another building that we had here. And I'd preached a message and a lady came up to me and said, you know, Debbie must be lucky to have a husband like you. I had a lot of questions about that. But I was thinking, if what you want is somebody who can speak fairly well for 30 minutes on the weekend, she got a bargain. <laughs> However, if you're talking about a husband who can't fix or finish anything, forgets what she asks of him within seconds of asking, and leaves piles of clutter everywhere he goes, maybe not such a bargain after all. But fortunately, God has called her to put up with me. <laughs> I'm called to get better. I will never be as good as she is in some of those areas. But she, and she does it so well. She loves me so well. Put up with me. Weaknesses are not the same as abuse, as I said earlier. But, you know, a lot of times we, we pile everything into that category. Don't make exceptions the norm. All men are this way. All women are this way. All mega churches are this way. All whatever are that way. No, 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 no. We are called to put up with the humanness and the weaknesses of others. I'm gonna go a little deeper here. You are called to put up with cultural and political differences, okay? This message is so necessary for right now because we're healing up from this last season. I have two friends. Actually, I have a lot more than two, but two that I want to talk to you about right now. <laughs> Debbie knows who they are. One of them consistent. this is what he does with his life. He consistently puts out conspiracy theories on Facebook. That's, that's what he does. The other friend would make Bernie Sanders look like a conservative. <laughs> and, and, and they work Facebook too. So you got that? I got, I got two friends here. I was tempted over the last year to, to cancel both of them. But here's the thought. God brought them into my life. God trusted me to be somebody who would, in patience, put up with them and bear with them while God was at work behind the scenes on them. See, that's not what our culture does. That's why our culture's screwed up, okay? I'm called to bear with and, and put up with them. I don't have to agree with them. We can have vigorous conversations, which we have at times, but three, three ideas keep me on track. Number one, nobody is as politically balanced as I am. Yeah, I'm the center of my universe right here. Secondly, I'm not called to change them. That's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? And thirdly, I'm called in patience to bear with them. That is my calling. My calling is to be completely humble and gentle and to bear with them in patience.
Who are you canceling that you should be putting up with? Don't be conformed to our culture. There's people in your family you've canceled. Some of you are listening online. You've canceled folks in your family because of the political craziness. Can we, can we put a, a yesterday on that? And go, you know what? Let's try it this way. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends. Doesn't mean you have to, you know, hang out all the time together. But it does mean you need to love them and look at them through the eyes of Jesus. Understand that God has trusted them in your life so that he can love them through you in some way. Okay? Because you're bigger than that. We are bigger than canceling everybody who doesn't vote like us, who doesn't understand like us, who doesn't see spiritual matters like we do. We are bigger than that, church. And if our country is gonna be healed, if our world is gonna be healed, it's gonna start right here. It's gonna start right here. Whew. I'm about to get Pentecostal. All right. Last point, and then we'll quit. Um, keep the focus in the right place. We are called to be completely gentle and humble, to, in patience, bear with one another, put up with things. And number three, to keep the focus in the right place. Okay, so I like to do, some of you are professional photographers. There's some great photographers in this church. And... Uh, uh, I'm an amateur, okay, which is fun until it's not. Now, when it's not is, um, well, I like doing this, but there's a lot of pressure. Sometimes the kids, I'm kind of the family photographer, okay, and the kids will say, hey, Dad, we're going to save money on Christmas cards this year. Would you take a picture of our family? That's pressure. You got to get it right. You could spoil your kids' Christmas if you don't get it right. And so a couple of years ago, we went to um, Tennessee. All the family went together for about three or four days, and, and uh, that was the day I was going to take pictures. And so Debbie and I went a couple of days earlier, and I scouted around. I found this old barn. I want you to look at this picture. I found this old barn. I've got pictures of different members of our family. It's beautiful. It's nice and all of that. There is a problem with this picture. Let's crop into where Jenna and Jason are. And uh, I may have focused on the wrong thing. The leaves are great. I'm telling you, you could come in on a close shot of the leaves in the barn. But the picture is about the people. And most things are about the people. And we focus on the background. And we focus on stuff that doesn't really matter in the big picture of things. Paul says, when it comes to your calling, Keep the focus on the right thing. Well, look what he says. He says, make most of your effort. No, that's the revised substandard perversion. He says, make every, say every together. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You didn't create the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit created the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit created the church. The Spirit created your family. The Spirit created this family here. Your job's not to create that. Your, my job and your job is to make every effort to keep it through the bonds of peace. I was recently, this week, in a conversation with another believer who sees the world differently than I do. 
And I like to say, that's okay. You have a right to be wrong. Okay, it's not, not an issue, not an issue. But I was in a conversation with a believer who sees the world differently than I. I had a strong temptation in the moment and in the conversation to focus on what divides us. And this scripture, because I'm preaching on it, jumped out. Really, is that making every effort? Making every effort? Is this an eternal issue? No. So here's what I said. I learned this from Billy Hornsby years ago. When somebody wants to argue with you or you're tempted to argue with somebody else and it ain't going anywhere, here's the phrase. You might be right. You might be right. I don't think you are, but you might be right. And you know what? You might be. You might be. I want to tell you what happened there. He didn't need to know what my opinion was. He didn't even really want to know what my opinion was. He needed me to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. And there's a weightlessness that came with that, okay? So if you're gonna stay close to Jesus, if you're gonna find and live out your calling, you've gotta be willing to do three things. You gotta be willing to live like nobody else is living. Be completely humble and gentle, okay? Number two, you gotta be willing to put up with things that others won't put up with. Impatience, bear with one another's in love. And you gotta be willing to fight for things that others aren't willing to fight for. Fight for the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. Are y'all ready to join with me in a radical conversation about what God wants us to be and wants us to do? You guys ready to do that? Amen. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace among us. I thank you for how you uh, have led every one of us to this point right now. And Lord, we invite you by your Holy Spirit just to fill this auditorium and the auditoriums where we sit, the homes where we're at right now. Just fill it with your Holy Spirit. God, work on our hearts. Help us not to be conformed by the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by your truth and your word and the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take just a minute to respond to God. This is the best part of the service, really. It's where we say, God, what are you saying to me, and how do you want me to respond to what I've heard? And uh, for some of us, it's, it's very foundational. It's here. We need an encounter with Jesus. Some of us have never come to the place of weightlessness where we have taken our lives, our sin, our stuff, and said, okay, God, here it is. I give it to you. Would you give me your peace? I wanna follow you. I wanna walk with you. Some of us have never done that, and today is your day. Today is your day. Others of us, we've, we've done that at some point, but we've walked further and further and further and further and further away from Jesus. And it's a distant memory. And it feels like we are weighted down by decisions, by things other people have done to us, things we've done ourselves. And we need to come home. Come back to an encounter with Jesus. Come back to that weightlessness, the weightlessness of sin. So if you're in either one of those two camps, would you just lift your hand right now? I want to pray for you. 
Okay? All right. Great. Great. Awesome. All over this place. Awesome. Let me pray. Father, right now, I thank you for those who are so brave as to just say, that's me, and I don't want to be there. I need an encounter with you. Some of us are coming for the first time and saying yes to you. Others of us, we've drifted far away. We're coming home. And Father, I see a picture of the prodigal father out there just waiting for the sons and daughters to come, not with condemnation, but with joy. So God, I pray that your kingdom would come right now in this place and in our hearts as we, as we come to you and that your, your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I got good news for you. It's a better day already than it was the day you walked in. Others of us, uh, and if you did that, here's what I'd suggest you do. Go to a cross, baby, and take a little piece of paper and put your name or your initials and just pin it to that cross and say, God, I am follow, I'm choosing to follow you and I, I receive your peace right now, okay? For others of us, uh, maybe it's we need to confess a sin to somebody in order to be healed. Maybe that's your small group or even today at lunch or you know whenever it happens to be, but you're gonna make a commitment to that during our response time. Some of us have canceled people, okay? And it's, it's destroying our families, it's destroying the workplace, it's destroying the schools, friendships and all that. And you're just gonna say, I repent. It's that, I'm not gonna do it. I had somebody in the foyer say, oh, did that get me, but I'm doing it. You know what? They're gonna be rewarded for it with a sense of weightlessness and the joy of their salvation. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to go to a cross and take somebody who's been hurtful to you. Maybe they've written terrible things or said terrible things, and you're just gonna take it to a cross and say, God, I'm gonna forgive them by the power of your Holy Spirit. I don't wanna carry it around anymore. Some of us have lost focus. We're focused on things, and we ought to be focused on, on people. And uh, maybe you wanna go to a candle and light a candle. Maybe you wanna light a candle for a friend. Just pray for him. Say, may the light of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, bring focus into my life, bring focus into their, their lives. We're gonna have prayer teams that are gonna pray for us. Uh, they wanna lend you your, their faith. You may come here today and you just don't really have faith to believe, faith for whatever it is that you need. You're in the right place because they wanna lend you some faith. You come to the prayer teams, they'll pray for you. We're gonna receive communion together, celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. We're gonna go offering boxes and online and give and we're gonna sing and celebrate an awesome God who loves us. So what's God saying to you? And what are you gonna say? What, what are you gonna do in response?